The epistle for this 12th Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, such is the assurance I have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. He also it is who has made us fit ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministration of death, which was engraved in letters upon stones, was inaugurated in such glory that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly upon the face of Moses on account of the transient glory that shone upon it, shall not the ministration of the Spirit be still more glorious? For if there is glory in the ministration that condemned, much more does the ministration that justifies abound in glory. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 10th chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I say to you, many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and they have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and they have not heard it. Behold, a certain lawyer got up to test him, saying, Master, what must I do to gain eternal life? But he said to him, What is written in the law? How dost thou read? He answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and with thy whole soul, with thy whole strength, and with thy whole mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said to him, Thou hast answered rightly, Do this, and thou shalt live. But he, wishing to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell in with the robbers, who, after both stripping him and beating him, went their way, leaving him half dead. But as it happened, a certain priest was going down the same way, and when he saw him, he passed by. And likewise a Levite also, when he was near the place and saw him, passed by. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came upon him, and seeing him was moved with compassion. And he went up to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And setting him on his own beast, he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more thou spendest, I on my way back will repay thee. Which of these three, in thy opinion, proved himself neighbor to him who fell among the robbers? And he said, He who took pity on him. And Jesus said to him, Go, and do thou also in like manner. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, you know that during the time of Pentecost, the Church does not have us focus on one specific mystery of the faith, as she does during the time of Christmas and Easter. And so that leaves to the priest the greater freedom in the topics he chooses for his sermons. And last summer, I even announced beforehand three topics I had chosen that I wanted to speak to you about. Um, if you recall, those three topics were uh, acedia, or spiritual fatigue, um, curiosity, and addiction. So we had three sermons on those topics. And this summer, or at least before this summer ends, there are also three topics that, that I just want to choose to speak to you about. One of them I've actually already talked about two weeks ago, the topic of trust. And in a few weeks, I hope to talk about the topic of the certainty of our faith. But today, 
I want to speak to you about discipline of the heart. And one of the things that made me want to speak about this is something that happened to me um, this past week. We had our Australian seminarian here, and I, I wanted to show him some of the extraordinary beauty um, that is here in Colorado. And so we drove to the top of Mount Evans. And when we were up there at 14,000 feet, we encountered this, this Catholic man who wanted to have a conversation. And we were discussing effectively the, the um, situation of, of the youth in the Catholic Church today. And he was saying, you know, what? I think what our youth really need is, is an encounter, a personal encounter with Christ. Basically, he was saying they need some sort of emotional experience. We need to give them an emotional experience, and if they have this, then they will persevere in their faith. And I had to politely disagree with him. I, I said, really what we need instead is catechesis. Catechesis is much more important than that emotional experience um, because of the fact that they need to know the principles by which they are to act in their life. And one of the things that, that he mentioned was, was that he used to be a Muslim and that, that he had had incredible spiritual, emotional, religious experiences in his time in the Muslim faith. And I pointed out to him, I said, look, you can have a religious experience in any kind of religion. You can have a religious experience as a Jew, as a Protestant, as a Muslim, as a Buddhist. All of those religions can move your heart and make you feel full in your heart. I said, look, I myself, we have a beautiful church where, where, where I'm, I'm the prior. We have a wonderful choir and a wonderful scola. And I myself, my heart is full on Sundays. Um, I experience those things. But what good is it if I'm having this religious experience and my heart is going in this direction that I do not know if it is the truth? Or what good is it if, in fact, it is not true? Because the fact is that our heart can experience many different things while yet being blind to whether the things it's going after are true or not. God made us as rational beings. And so what is supposed to happen for us as human beings is that we know with our mind what is true and through the truth of our minds, the principles of action that we know are correct, we then go and we direct our heart in the right direction. This is such a necessary part of our life. It's a very, very difficult aspect of our life, but it's a necessary part of our life for us to direct our hearts in the right direction. Our Lord says today, in the gospel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and thy whole mind. He does not say to us, love the, whole, the Lord thy God with, the, with your whole heart and then do whatever you want. Follow your heart wherever it leads you. He does not say this to us. 
God so created our heart, our human heart, that it moves to anything that is attractive or that is good. This is the way our heart works. We are attracted to good, beautiful, lovely things. But our heart, when it moves towards these things, is not able to see context. It, does, it is not able to judge whether the good that it is going towards is right in this particular situation or wrong in this particular situation. It's just going to, to head towards it, to incline towards it. And this is why our heart needs a guide. It needs direction. It is blind in itself. It just moves instinctively towards the good, but it does not know whether the good it pursues is good in a relative sense or good in an absolute sense. It is a good, but it is, is it a good that is best for me and what I am made for? The heart does not know, so it needs a guide. What is that guide? That guide is our mind and our will, and they have to step in and direct the heart. But as I say, this is so difficult and often very painful in our lives. Why so? For a couple of reasons. First of all, because our heart moves so quickly. Our heart is instinctive. The heart leaps forward to whatever attracts it without thinking twice. It does not stop for consultation. It just does what it does. And then secondly, our heart is something that consoles us. It makes us feel good. When my heart is going towards something attractive, I feel warm inside. I feel um, nice in going after that lovely thing. So often our heart creates a situation. It's, it's heading out towards something that it's attractive. And yet the mind is saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. Is this the right thing for me? It is not. It is not, oh heart, the right thing for me in this context. And a battle ensues. It's kind of like the semis on the highway. The semi, when the semi is going down the highway, everything is good when the cab that is in the front of the, of the semi and the trailer that is in the back of the semi are lined up and they're both heading in the same direction. But we all know that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes you have a jackknife where the cab is going a different direction from the trailer and there's a wreck on the road. You, you, you go by and you say, wow, that, that semi is jackknife. That's terrible. And this is the way it happens with us. The cab is where you have the driver who's able to see the road and that's our mind and our will that's supposed to choose and direct our trailer, which is blind, which is our heart, supposed to direct it on the right path. But there are many situations that arise in our life where our mind knows the right direction, but the heart does not want to go in that direction. It wants to go in a different direction. This conflict exists within us, is, is most difficult when our heart is attracted to the greatest of the natural goods that God has given us in this life but it's not right for us to have those natural goods. For instance, the attraction that exists between the sexes. Say you have a man 
who's a married man, and he goes to some social event, and he meets a woman there who's a widow, and he has a conversation with this woman. She's intelligent. It's a great conversation. She's good-looking. She's forlorn. And he walks away. And his heart is moved. There's an attraction that's awakening in his heart. His heart is saying, let's pursue this thing. But his mind is saying, no, this is not correct. And of course, the world today would say, well, love is love. Let your heart go wherever it wants and just follow your heart. But a rational person would say, no, in that situation, you must discipline your heart. You must correct your heart. You must pull your heart back from pursuing that affection, which is not right in this context. Yes, there is a good there. Yes, she has those qualities. But it's not right for your final goal. Another thing that we desire very much by, by the natural inclination of our heart is the preservation of our own life. We have this great instinct to not want to die. And God gives that to us, and it's a good thing. But it's not always a good thing. There are definitely situations when we must want to give up our lives. There's that beautiful story in the Old Testament of the mother of the, of the Maccabees. His mother with her seven sons, who's before this uh, Greek governor of, of Judea or of Israel, who's commanding them to go against the law of God, against the Jewish law. She's a mother. She's, she's given birth to seven sons, and they're there before her. And she's seeing the fact that their lives are going to be cut off on that day. And they're not, they're not going to be able to live their lives. They're not going to be able to raise a family or have their future and so on. And, and by, by her instinct, by her nature, of course, her heart says, I don't want this. I don't want them to lose their lives. But what does she do? She very bravely, very incredibly, if you read this story, overcomes that natural desire. Not only does she accept that her sons are going to die, but she even encourages them. She exhorts them, do not give in to this tyrant, but give your lives for God. We, if we open up Holy Scripture, we find it always speaking about the human heart. There's so many references to the human heart in Scripture. You will not find in there it's saying, follow your heart wherever it leads you, but rather you will find it speaking about different types of hearts. There are good hearts and there's bad hearts. The good hearts are described as being right of heart, people who are right of heart. Some speak of those who have a right heart. In other words, they have a heart that is oriented in the right direction. The Psalms speak of this. And they, they say that for those people who are right of heart, for those people who make this really difficult effort of directing their heart towards the will of God in every situation, in any context, that there is a certain fruit that comes to them, certain a benefit that they reap from directing their hearts. And this benefit is that they are able to rejoice in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you just, and glory, all you right of heart. 
if your heart is, is right with God, if you've made this effort to direct your heart towards God, then you will have a state of joy and peace in your heart. Meanwhile, on the other side, Scripture also speaks a lot about hardness of heart. Um, those people who, when they are faced with this situation where, where their mind is going one way, what they know to be true, and their heart is going another way, what do they do? Do they, do they move their heart around to align with their mind? No. They keep their heart going the same way. They harden their heart in the direction it's heading. One of the most famous examples of this is Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, where Moses goes to him time and again. And he says to Pharaoh, I'm going to ha- unleash this plague on your people unless you deliver the Israelites from bondage. And Pharaoh doesn't want to do it. His heart's not in it. But then he sees the plague and the destruction is causing to his own people. And he says, okay, 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 Moses, I will let your people go. I will, I will let them leave. And Moses, all right, glad to hear that. He leaves the presence of Pharaoh. And then what happens? Pharaoh's heart comes back. He says to Pharaoh, what are you doing? You can't let these people go. You can't. You've got to have them as your slaves. And he gives in to his heart, and his heart becomes hard. And he says, I will not let them go. I will not let them go. Even though intellectually he knows that is the right thing to do. Look at the Pharisees in the New Testament. How hard-hearted the Pharisees were. Our Lord speaking to the Pharisees. Look at all these signs that I've shown you. It's obvious. You should know in your mind that I am the Messiah. I'm the one sent by God. And yet, you do not accept me. If you do not accept my teaching, at least accept the works. But they refuse him. They call him like one who works miracles by the devil. They, they harden the heart. Even though they have all the evidence present to their mind, they harden their heart. Even the disciples of our Lord, after his resurrection, Remember those two disciples going to Emmaus, and our Lord sneaks up on them, and he wants to talk to them. And he says, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, you know, there's this prophet, mighty in word and work. It seemed like he was the Messiah. And then um, these, the women went to the tomb. They found it empty, and they said there was an angel there, and the angel said that he had risen. But I don't really know. I don't really know whether it was actually he was the Messiah or not. And what does our Lord say to them? Oh, you foolish and slow of heart to believe all that was revealed through the prophets. Their heart was hardened against the idea of a Messiah who would suffer and die. They did not want to believe this. Intellectually, they had all the proof that they needed, but their heart was not in a Messiah who would suffer and die. So we see from this, my dear faithful, that one of the characteristics that is necessary for our heart is that it be flexible. We have to have a heart that's willing to be moved around. If our heart is in a situation where it goes out to something that is good from a certain perspective, but is not completely good, then our heart has to be willing to be corrected, to be guided, perhaps to be held back or pushed forward. 
we have to have somehow a soft heart in that regard, a heart that is malleable, a heart that is willing to be directed in the right direction. Our Lord speaks of this heart in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. These are those who have a pure heart. They have a heart, says St. Augustine, that is single-minded. The one thing that our heart wants is what God wants. And if our heart instinctively goes out to something that is just good under a certain aspect but is not good for the will of God, then our heart says, okay, I give that up. Well, how do we go about forming this flexible and soft heart, this meek and humble heart that is disposed to change whenever we are in a situation where what it desires is not good before God? How do we develop this discipline of the heart where we can hold our heart back when necessary or push it forward? As I've said, it's not an easy thing. It's a very painful thing for us to do, but so necessary. And I do not know of any better example of how it is done than what has been given to us by the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. You all know what happened when he came to the end of his life. He went to the Garden of Olives. And while he was there, he said to the apostles, stay here. While he went off to a stone's throw, knelt down, prostrate, prostrated himself on the ground to pray. What did he say? What did he say to the Heavenly Father? He said, Father, take away this chalice from me. Our Lord's heart was not in it. His heart did not want to be crucified. He had a real human heart. And what, which one of our hearts would desire a horrible suffering and death, none of our hearts. But our Lord knew that, that this was the will of the Father. And so he says this prayer, where on one side you have his heart speaking, and on the other side you have his mind, his, his, higher, fact, his higher human faculties speaking. Father, if it's possible, let this chalice pass from me. That's his heart but not my will, but thy will be done. This is his head. Was that prayer successful? Was it able to change his heart? No, it was not. Our Lord got up. He went back to the apostles. He looked for them to accompany him. And then he went back, and Scripture says, he prayed the self-same word over and over. He prostrated himself on the ground, it was so hard that, that the beatings of his heart were pushing the blood out of his own pores. The struggle was so great. So finally, after an hour had passed, he went back to the apostles and he said to them, Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. After that hour, his heart, had been aligned with the will of the Father. He had a real human heart, and a real human heart does not want suffering and death. And so we have to wrestle with our hearts on certain occasions. 
And my dear people, it's so important for us to follow this example of our Lord and make this painful effort to direct our hearts. Sometimes our heart is in the right place, and that's great. It's, it's easy for us. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes our heart wants what is sinful, wants what is wrong, wants what is disordered. And that's where we have to go into action and work with our heart. We have to pray to God. We have to beg. We have to persevere until our heart is brought in line with what we know to be true and right. How long does it take? Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes months to correct our heart, to dispose our heart. We must be willing to persevere in this effort until our heart has been well disposed to follow the will of God, however long it takes. Who shall ascend into the mountain of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place, the innocent in hands and clean of heart, who has not taken his soul in vain? Let us ask the sacred heart of our Lord, especially today, that, that he may change our hearts, that he may make our hearts much more like his own. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.